You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in for this installment of our RSAC 365 podcast series. I'm really looking forward to today's discussion in and around trends in the cloud security space with the RSA Conference Program Committee leads for our cloud security and cloud SecOps track, Sean Harris and Rich Mogul. Before our guests introduce themselves, we'd like to share a short message from Deloitte, our podcast sponsor. Cyber and technology lovers, we need you. A role with Deloitte isn't just a career, it's a calling. To help make the world more trustworthy, resilient, and secure. So if you're interested in joining a group of people who don't just want to fix what's broken, but want to build something better, apply for a role with Deloitte Cyber. Here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review us on your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now, without further ado, Sean and Rich, thanks for being here. Can you please introduce yourselves to our listeners, and we'll jump into today's discussion. Sure. My name is Sean Harris, and I am co-chair of the Cloud Security Alliance Cloud Controls Matrix Working Group. And my day job, I am Director of uh, Strategy, Engagement, and Architecture for the Cybersecurity Group at Starbucks Coffee Company. And this is Rich Mogul, and I am the CISO of DisruptOps, although we were just acquired by Fireman. And uh, I also have a role as uh, Analyst and CEO at Securosis. And someday I'll figure out how to get down to one job. <laughs> What's, you guys have day jobs, night jobs, probably in the middle of the night jobs, um, and we're so grateful to both of you for leading the cloud security and cloud SecOps track for RSA Conference. Um, I know you've both just completed your review of all of the cloud-focused submissions we received through our call for speakers process, and you've identified the sessions that will be part of this year's agenda. Um, so, Sean, I'm going to start with you. In our conversation as we were reviewing those picks, uh, you mentioned that you thought these were the strongest submissions you'd seen since you started working with the program committee three years ago. Any thoughts as to why? You know, I I see quite a bit of submissions um, in the threat modeling area for cloud. And as cloud matures and cloud security specifically matures, we're going to start to see a lot more companies uh, start to adopt threat modeling for their cloud intake process and we will start to see a lot more, um, a lot more uh, purposeful cloud implementations rather than more about that haphazard lift and shift methodology for cloud intake. Some of it is just kind of the natural evolution of, you know, when we first started doing this, cloud was much less mature. There was far fewer people that had much of a knowledge base. Uh, and now we have people with skills and experiences. And, you know, we're still on the early edge, but it keeps improving. Definitely. You know, Rich, it's funny. I was thinking about a conversation we had, I think it was maybe four years ago. Um, it was a great debate at the program committee um, where we were wondering, does cloud even belong as a separate track anymore? We, we were thinking, oh, cloud's just kind of everywhere anymore. This is kind of like, you know, BYOD. It's a given that it's happening. And in fact, you know, we landed at keeping it. You, you had some good arguments, um, you and your counterpart. And in fact, it's been one of the best scoring and best attended bodies of content that's delivered at RSA conference. Um, so, yeah, that maturity that you're seeing, the changes in the language that's coming in, the changes even of the roles of, of who is presenting. Um, what do you think, if we look at 
just a 12-month block of time. What do you think are the most seismic shifts that have been reflected then in what we're seeing in the proposals and what we're seeing in deployments in enterprises? I think some of the biggest things that, at least that I've seen, both in terms of what we see in the real world as well as what we saw in the proposals, uh, definitely a lot more use of containers in general, but Kubernetes specifically. That trend's been going on for years, but I think it's really becoming quite a bit larger, but also people don't fully understand the implications. So on the security side, there's a lot of a lot of questions and concerns about it. We also had more, I'd say, legitimate talks on some of the the novel cloud risk and threats and, and attacks that we've seen. So we have proposals around you know vulnerabilities discovered in cloud providers and in the early days, these were like really stupid obvious for anybody that does this stuff for a living. Uh, some of the ones this year were, were definitely more interesting than we had previously seen. And not a lot, but it doesn't take a lot to, you know, notice more of an increase, more of a trend. Yeah. So, Sean, back to you. Um, within the program committee, we've we sometimes jokingly referred to Starbucks as critical infrastructure, and I'd venture to guess that many in the listening audience did, in fact, rely on Starbucks infrastructure at at least one point, likely more, during this work-from-home state. Um, so the cloud security-focused considerations that you are part of at Starbucks are, are huge. What changes do you think are the most critical for the listeners to consider within their own deployments? So I think that one of the, the big changes that I'm seeing from a trend perspective in cloud security is the aggregation of security tools to uh, centralization of those controls as opposed to bespoke implementations. Uh, so think of the CSPs managing your container security, and, and a lot of it is going to CSPs, but there's also an aggregation of those uh, control tools going into uh, single larger companies that are starting to really execute on the aggregation of control implementations. Interesting. What are the downstream implications of that? So the downstream implications are really whereby uh, you may have a particular tool or vendor that you utilize for a control implementation, and that will become part of a larger packaged offering from a larger company, or the CSP themselves will uh, start to add that as either an add-on to their cloud service offering, or they will actually have a separate team that will uh, actually start to market and sell that as an implementation. I look at uh, at such as uh, container security from, say, Twistlock, uh, you know, is now with, uh, with Palo Alto Prisma, Aquasec, a, a wonderful company, and they have been engaged with Microsoft early on, and now Microsoft for Azure in the uh, Azure Security Center is starting to do some container-based security and workload security um, monitoring and uh, detective controls. Interesting. So, Rich, I'm going to go to you related to that and related to another conversation that we had had when we were looking through the the picks that you guys have made. And a comment that, that stuck with me was that because of the state of maturation of these deployments and all of these supporting technologies, my takeaway is it's, it's become now more possible for companies 
to change cloud providers. It, it used to be, you know, you started with one, you were kind of locked in with that one. Um, movement from, from one to the other was, was difficult, but it seemed to be that that has changed now. What are the implications here, and how do you see this further changing and perhaps further impacting the strategies that enterprises are taking with regards to these partnerships? Yeah, I mean, uh, actually, it's deceptive. I don't think that that statement is true. I think it is actually ah. still extremely difficult to change cloud providers. So there is a myth that that is kind of, you know, well, you throw everything in containers and can bounce around. And yes, the containers themselves, that's the easy part to move around. If you're, you know, you throw your stuff into a Docker container, you can just pop those up wherever you need to. But it's all the controls around that that are extremely difficult. Uh, I think on Twitter I said once, if you want to go multi-cloud, that's great. Just triple your security stack. And I truly believe (laughs) that because the technical differences at the low level are so extreme between every one of the major providers that your security controls don't carry across. Sean and I talk all the time. I'm always picking his brain because he does so much more in Azure than I do, and I do so much more in Amazon. And even though we both are familiar with both platforms, the level of detail can get down to, well, did you use the SDK that establishes the API call with quote, quote, session versus quote, quote, client, because that'll affect your ability to contain an attack and may or may not break your application. So, no, I think... um it is really a risky path organizations are taking to think the providers are equivalent and you can move things around. And the only people who really say that are people without hands-on experience in cloud. <laughs> and I don't mean that in an offensive way. It's just, you know, if you really do this stuff at, you know, the level of, of truly getting the performance and the cost savings and the security out of the provider, uh, you realize that it is still very, very, very difficult. and You can't treat these things at the same. But it is, on the surface, you kind of think you can get away with it. It's only when you get down to the next level, uh, which can be months after you start migrating something, that you realize, ooh, we, we have a problem here. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. What are we going to do now? And I would add to Rich um, that as we look at trends and what I see happening in, you know, I, I look at timelines, of, a fairly short timeline of probably the next 18 to 24 months, and this is what I see is exactly what Rich was talking about. You can move containers from one CSP to another. Easy, right? But it's all of the other things you have to, to know and understand in order to run that container, even if it's a PaaS container host, so platform as a service. However, if and when the CSPs really, really start to adopt this idea, and that is that containers are, are leveraged at a SaaS level. So take the stack up, and it's, it's basically uh, it's, it's like software as a service. This happens to be that the data that you are putting into the SaaS product is your container that will run. When we get to that point, then, uh, then I see containers and container technology as being a uh, potential for avoiding vendor lock-in or CSP lock-in because oh, I've got three SaaS providers, and I can just put my run my code there, run my code there, and it's the same code. It's it's truly mobile right now. With since we're utilizing either IaaS or PaaS, we have to go up the stack and actually run containers as the data that we load into a SaaS provider. 
a lot of implications there for you from the enterprise perspective um, long-term with your planning. Thank, thanks for that, Sean. Um, Rich, going back to a quick comment that you made about shift left and some of the additional submissions that you saw in and around that. You know, we, we've, seen, we've seen that language discussed as we've looked at the DevSecOps track and, and you know, certainly you know, a lot of proposals in and around that, uh, both, both from how organizations are, are putting together their groups, how, how code's being written, how they're interacting with other groups um, within the organization. Talk to me about how this applies in, in cloud security. What, why, why are we seeing this? What would you expect to see going forward also because of the, the shift left impact right now that you're seeing? Yeah, you know, it, it changes a lot of dynamics, including how you can remediate security issues and where you have to. Uh, the example is, and look, as somebody who's been hands-on doing like a lot of cloud security automation for years and years now, it, it's great that I can fix things in production, but if that gets overwritten by something in the CICD pipeline, I still have a problem. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting you asked this. I was having dinner with a friend last night who's big in the cloud security world, uh, just on an outdoor patio. It's kind of fun, actually. A rainstorm came out of nowhere, but we were under an umbrella, so it was all good. And when I was talking about some of the automation stuff that, that I've been playing with and, and doing, you know, his first comment was, what I really needed to do is to submit a pull request so that gets fixed in the infrastructure as code pipeline. That's really a lot of the kind of the changing dynamic that we've seen that, that's really picked up. But I find it's also a two-edged sword. Everybody's asking about that but they're not necessarily consistent in their pipelines and in making sure everything runs through it. And for larger enterprises, uh, it's hilarious. I go into tons of them and having conversations and, and different things, or maybe just somebody showing up at a training class, and that's really what they're focused on. I go, great, what percentage of your apps go through the pipeline? They're like, oh, it's all the new stuff. It's like 20%. And yet, you know, the other 80% is also moving to cloud. So it's an interesting dynamic, but I do think it forces the security teams to security can't just block and tackle on the outside anymore. I mean, that's really where we are. And that's been one of the early trends of cloud and infrastructure as code and shifting left really emphasizes that point that we can't just put boxes around what's being deployed and that we actually are being, you know, forced to work more directly with application teams because unlike before, that infrastructure as code can define the fundamental infrastructure. It just doesn't define the code that's running the workload. And that's the biggest change. And it forces us to go ahead and have to work more with those teams and cross some of those organizational boundaries. And to be honest, this is a real struggle. I, I've been on you know multiple conversations over the last year in projects where that has really been where it's hard to get past those silos. So one of the things that I've noticed with several enterprises that I've talked to and colleagues is that the concept and idea of having a singular CICD pipeline is wonderful. In theory, it's perfect. In practice, what happens is a company will have a CICD pipeline per application or business capability area or team. And so you really have to start to, and it's all about engagement. You know, so from the very early days, I've always considered that security is an engagement practice. It's all about the engagement and going and having the conversation and talking about 
the use of security tools going into the CICD pipeline, wherever that is. And what the engagement wing of security means is you have to meet your customer where your customer is. You can't just tell the customer where they have to go. So I see a lot of really distributed CICD pipelines in a lot of organizations and the security team has to really have an understanding of, of where it is, what it is, and get our security uh, control tools into those CICD pipelines as well. Awesome. I, I was writing that down. Security is an engagement practice. Meet your customer where they are, which seems like if that was written and tattooed across all organizations, um, there there's some different ways that they're behaving with one another. There's the different ways that, that groups are engaging. So, so related to that, Sean, this year we changed the track name ever so slightly to Cloud Security and Cloud SecOps uh, because we, we were seeing changes in how the security operations is done, um, the technological as well as the staffing that is done there. How do you expect cloud SecOps to change in the coming year and foreseeable future? For cloud security operations, a lot more use of infrastructure as code, as Rich has already mentioned. The idea that a human being is logging into a cloud service provider control plane and point and click changing and or spinning up new resources is really a, going to, to become a, a thing of the past. I know that there are, there are several companies that are still doing that. There's several, several teams that are still doing that. However, uh, the infrastructure is code, the pipeline of, of implementing your entire infrastructure as a matter of code so that you can, you can redeploy an entire implementation in a matter of minutes versus days is absolutely critical to being able to, uh, to ensure that we have good security operations practices. The other aspect is uh, we're seeing quite a few, from a security operations perspective, quite a few uh, least privilege uh, as code or zero trust uh, submissions. So the utilization of zero trust for the idea of security operations in the, both the control plane and the data plane is really taking off as well in the industry. Mm. Yeah, the zero trust implementations and seeing what people are actually doing and, and hearing hearing the examples, it's definitely something that's that's helpful to our audience at, at RSA conference. Rich, I'm going to shift a question to you, and this also goes back to looking you know, at the, the, the way back machine and looking at, you know, as we've introduced tracks and such to RSA conference. I remember the year, it was probably, it was probably also about four years ago when we introduced um, AI and ML as a half track. And at that time, most of the sessions that were submitted, it was squarely focused in the SIM space. That's where people were, were, were focusing that discussion. And at this point, you know, thematically, that's really stretched across lots of things, almost like when we were looking at cloud four years ago. And is, is there just an assumption that automation, AI, machine learning is, is going to just be a part of anything any enterprise is doing? How do you see those themes, so AI, ML, and automation, reflected in, in cloud, and how would you see it further changing what's going to happen here in the years to come? Yeah, I mean, I think one one way I could probably put this is I think if we move forward, you know, like 20 years, 
and look back at the road behind us, I think it will be paved by the dead bodies of AI and ML <laughs> uh, attempts to resolve these issues. Um, yeah, and I don't mean to be cynical. I'm I'm not always the puppy rainbow guy, but I think there's a lot of overpromising. It is a much harder problem than a lot of us, uh, and a lot of what you would see on the show floor will care to admit to actually get value out of the AI and ML. It is doable. It's very difficult. Uh, even if you just take a look at like, you know, for example, Amazon has their automated reasoning team, which does a lot of this for really simple things, just as is an S3 bucket public. And that is literally something that they have to use their own internal AI ML for. And they're very deliberate and slow in how they release those, you know, AI ML products versus the AI ML platform components of it. So I do think that there's a lot of, we're going to see a lot of overpromising on that, um, and it may be helpful, you know, even as somebody who, you know, has input into my, my own organization's tooling and that, you know, in our own products, you know, that's something that we're always keeping an eye on. But, you know, it's got to be the right use cases. And most of what I've seen really overpromises and underdelivers. And another angle of that is even once you get it nailed down, depending on what you're doing, we've seen a lot of very interesting adversarial research, how to break AI and ML by putting things in there that can actually uh, trick the system into giving responses that are unexpected. Uh, so that's, that's that one area. I'm not totally against it. I think that where it will be successful is in very discrete use cases. And I think we see a lot of it kind of like general pattern matching stuff. And that's where it always kind of falls down, at least with the current technologies. Now, automation is a different game. And I, you know, that, that's obviously something I've been passionate about for a decade. I, I think I started 10 years ago writing my first cloud security automations. And that's not an exaggeration. And this is the other half of what Sean talked about. So as much as we are trying to shift everything into the pipeline, there's still always going to be a need to also manage the operational side of what's up and running. And it's the combination of fix it in the pipeline and then, you know, fix it in prod that I think is really going to help us, you know, mature our cloud security operations. And it's really hard to do right now because of those silos and stuff that we talked about before. The technologies aren't fully there to, you know, be able to handle that in a good way. And when they're combined together, you know, we've seen vendors do M&A and acquire things that can cover both sides of, of the stack. You know, you have to make some sacrifices on each side. But I don't think that's going to be like that much longer. I don't know if it's going to mature in a year. I think it'll take a bit longer than that just as somebody who's had to, like, write code for some of these things. But I do think that that combination and and kind of linking in the automation to, you know, well, you detected the operational problem, you fix it, and then you issue a pull request to also fix it in the pipeline. But then you have to know what the pipeline is, and you got to know what the changes are, and if it's going to break something else. But but there are ways to do that. It's just, you know, they're tricky problems, but I think they're solvable problems. I would agree, Rich, that uh, on the AIML uh, front, I do think that one of the discrete uh, use cases that you talk about is a discrete use case that is probably going to be the first real benefit in market, and that is um, cloud authorization checks. So if Rich and Sean are both senior security engineers at a company, um, Sean and Rich both have the same level of authorizations. Rich uses those authorizations. Sean does not. 
And so there are already a few companies out there looking at ways to automatically decrease Sean's authorizations to avoid and actually to to get in front of the idea of continuing to do uh, a bit of the, the old process of user attestation requests. So uh, I think that there's uh, there's definitely going to be a discrete use case that's really going to be utilized. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree. The permissions, tracking those over time, we already see that in use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I like about it is it's a... Uh, you don't need crazy advanced ML models. I mean, there's some really, you know, straightforward kinds of things that you can do. And to be honest, that identity and access management realm is the one that I think is still our biggest problem and will be for a while. And it's also where a whole lot of people, including my own organization, is kind of honing in on that to figure out ways to resolve it. And I think there's some really interesting things uh, that are both out there, but I think there's a lot more coming. I mean, I, I've said it uh, yeah. on Twitter and at conferences, you know, when you get down to it, all cloud security failures are IAM failures and all IAM failures are governance failures. So anything we can do to help with those issues is going to go a really long way. I'm hearing for sure we need a cloud security track for the foreseeable future too. So that that's good. We won't need that discussion in future program committee meetings. Um, Sean, I'm taking back to your very first statement that you made in and around um, you know, threat modeling and looking at vulnerabilities. What specific cloud vulnerabilities um, would you warn about in the future? I'm, I'm not going to say cloudy with a chance of because I know how much <laughs> you love that analogy. Um, but what ominous clouds are out there in 2022 that organizations need to pay attention to? One of my close friends is works on the top threats working group for the Cloud Security Alliance. And I've been having some conversations with him as of late. What I see is one of the big top threats to the enterprise as part of cloud. And this is mostly SaaS, but there's a little bit of, of big three uh, CSP here. And that is security through obscurity has reared its ugly head in 2021, 2020, and foreseeable future if we as uh, cloud security professionals don't step in and help some of these companies. By obscurity, what I mean is uh, several organizations utilize the uh, the idea that if I get a URL, a randomly generated URL, that randomly generated URL will give me whatever data is at the other end of that URL for the foreseeable future with no timeline on how long that URL will work. So you can find uh, randomly generated URLs with this uh, security through obscurity methodology in several cloud service providers, many SaaS providers. And uh, when as they go and they market to your enterprise, you find, well, the enterprise is like, well, okay, so I don't have to deal with all that authentication stuff. Okay, this is great. But in reality, you've got a brute forcible URL, and many of them are less random than you think. So there's definitely uh, quite a few risks with utilizing many of those services. Yeah, I've got a, a friend. His name is Chris Ferris. He uh, works cloud security and is kind of well-known within the community. And his favorite phrase is, the cloud is dark and full of horrors. And <laughs> we are a little bit more getting to that point. And, and part of this is I'm just going to be really cautious in how I word this, and Sean and others will understand why I'm, I'm wording it the way I am. Not all cloud providers are created equal. 
not all look at security the same way. And this is especially true once you start looking at beyond just infrastructure as a service as well, although it is even a problem with infrastructure as a service. And we're now starting to see, you know, researchers and others figuring out two things. One is inherent vulnerabilities in some of the platforms. And in many cases, these are, these are subtle. But if you consider the fact that we now have critical infrastructure running on cloud that are subject to nation-state attacks, it's a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. And there's no question that there's nation-state attacks against these platforms. It is very well documented. It's not like private secret information or anything else. The other side of it, and the, the one that I think that a lot of people haven't really come to terms with, is the easiest thing to do is just attack like a developers and admins on their systems. Like old school malware now, the first thing it's trying to do is pivot into cloud. And we saw that with the SolarWinds attack where they were taking SAML tokens and going up into Azure AD. It wasn't necessarily, I mean, they were doing all sorts of on-premise stuff, but they're like, hey, you got Azure? Oh, cool. We're going there now as well. And so we're seeing a, a new emphasis on, you know, the all the problems that we've had in security that we've kind of, you know, always had on our systems, but are now letting somebody go into the cloud. And the key difference is in cloud, the management plane for your entire data center is now potentially internet accessible. And if you don't understand that and you don't secure that, those attacks on your distributed employees can be much more traumatic and damaging than they were back in the days when everything was kind of limited to your data center and an attacker couldn't just use credentials from wherever they wanted. So two parts. We are seeing more focus on some of the fundamental things in cloud, and there's been a lot of disclosures and releases. There's now increasing pressure on cloud providers, for example, to release CDEs for the vulnerabilities discovered on their platform so people can figure out how to protect themselves. And then the other side is the pivoting is much more of a focus on attackers. Like, that's just the core stuff they're trying to do now. Hey, I got a laptop. Let's see if I can get into their Amazon, Azure, or Google. So lots of cloudies with chances of all kinds of challenges ahead of us. Um, parting question to both of you. Rich, I'm going to start with you, and then Sean. Um, what's the single most important thing for enterprises to do in 2022 in and around their cloud security strategy? If you had to boil it to one, what would be your word of wisdom? Focus on IAM. Like, that's it. I mean, I'm not kidding. All the big public cloud security failures, it's not these, like, you know, subtle vulnerabilities that have been, you know, released over the past few weeks or anything else. It's just somebody screws up their IAM, uh, which is their cloud configuration. The misconfigurations, you know, it, it's fine. If you mess up a security group rule and somebody can compromise a, an instance or a VM running in your environment, that's like old school network attack stuff. We already know how to manage those things. But managing and securing identity and access management, that is the critical part of the management plane. Focus on that. Turn on your MFA. Get down to least privilege. Like, pay attention to that. Don't give devs admin access to absolutely everything. I mean, there's just piles of piles of work there that will take many organizations years to work through because it is legitimately difficult. I would say implementation governance. The concept that has uh, occurred in our industry um, for cloud, that is, is that organizations can uh, get a cloud service account and uh, grant developers full access to that cloud service account 
and wait for the uh, the wonderful implementation that is created with no oversight. So oversight and governance in 2022 is going to be going to be big. You know, Rich mentioned identity governance. Uh, that is, it's huge. Uh, being able, as, as he just mentioned, being able to have full unfettered access to the cloud service account and being able to, to make decisions on the fly that negatively affect the security of the enterprise is now a very real thing. Well, this has been a very rich, dense conversation here. Thank you so much, um, Rich and Sean, for this conversation. And, and I'm really looking forward to the cloud security track at RSA Conference. I know you guys have done, um, have called out some really amazing sessions. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us as well. To find products and solutions related to cloud security, we invite you to visit rsaconference.com forward slash marketplace, where you'll find an entire ecosystem of cybersecurity vendors and service providers who can assist with your specific needs. Please keep this conversation going on your social channels using hashtag RSAC, and be sure to visit rsaconference.com for new content posted year-round. Gentlemen, thanks for joining.